0: Welcome to performance and health. Performance and health is the product of a mechanical engineer with a passion for human physiology and its relation to athletic performance and longevity. Although at the pointy end of things these two goals clash with one another, there are still many similarities between the two and much to be learned from studying both of them. Athletes both amateur and professional must focus on their longevity to have a long career and be successful throughout it without compromising their ability to function well into later life and someone looking to maximise their lifespan and healthspan must focus on their cardiovascular health and physical strength if they are to live a long and mobile life. If you are a regular listener and have not done so yet, please be sure to leave the podcast a rating and share it amongst your friends, and if you are new, well then, enjoy your first episode, which I hope to be the first of many for you. And with that, let's get into today's episode. back to part two of the performance enhancing effects of caffeine. Um, if this is the first uh, episode that you are listening to then I recommend going back and listening to part one which will be the previous episode on this podcast. In that episode I would have gone over um, what WADA and the IOC think of caffeine and what sort of um, amounts in the urine if they detect that they will question and recommend um, remaining below how coffee and caffeine should i say works generally and how much caffeine can be found in different beverages Uh, the methods of action within sport more specifically and how it benefits um, both endurance sports uh, muscular endurance strength and power Um, what causes the variation that we see across different individuals, um, and caffeine's effect on sleep. Uh, This episode is going to be carrying on from there and go into uh, the effects on cognition, um, caffeine timing. It's also going to go into uh, is your response to caffeine determined by your training status and then the best way to take caffeine and the kind of alternatives that are available such as chewing gum, mouth rinsing, uh, nasal sprays, gels, bars and then conclude by wrapping everything up that I've discussed so that there is a kind of clear concise ending to it and what the takeaways are for athletes and caffeine consumption. If this sounds good then carry on listening to this episode or go back to episode 1 within this two-part series to discover more about the effects of caffeine and its performance enhancing effects within sport okay and with that we start with the effects of caffeine on cognition Uh, probably an underrated performance enhancing area is the effect of caffeine on cognition in addition to exercise performance caffeine has also been studied for its contribution to athletes of all types who are Routinely required to undergo periods of sustained cognitive function and vigilance during their sporting requirements. A 2016 review concluded that caffeine in doses from 32 milligrams to 300 milligrams um, for a 75 kilogram individual enhanced specific aspects of cognitive performance such as attention, vigilance, and reaction time and showed an improvement in mood. Um, there was also a conclusion that lower doses of caffeine, approximately 200 milligrams, improved cognitive processes associated with uh, exercise, including vigilance, alertness, and mood. Um, Hungervorst et al. studied 24 well trained cyclists that were randomized to three groups. Uh, group number one consumed a bar containing 45 grams of carbohydrates and 100 milligrams of caffeine. Uh, Group 2 took an isocaloric non-caffeine performance bar. And Group 3 took a placebo beverage, a non-caloric flavoured water, immediately before performing a two and a half hour uh, ride followed by a time to exhaustion trial. They found that caffeine in a carbohydrate contained performance bar significantly improved both endurance performance and complex cognitive ability during and after exercise. Uh, other studies have shown improvements in problem solving and reasoning. Uh, this is where caffeine clearly can have an effect on more than just physical performance in a sport, but mental performance as well. This could be used to particularly affect in later stages of team sports, maybe at halftime in football or rugby to help players exit uh, plays accurately throughout the rest of the game. Uh, even keeping cricketer players alert into the later part of the day or test series to help save runs, improve batting performance, and make key catches throughout the game. And this is where it becomes a bit sort of it starts to impact like directly with sleep because obviously with these games where you're having going late on into the day um, or being uh, performed at night, it's clear that there can start to be some impact on your sleep. But depending how key this game is or how key the day is in respect to the entire um, season or test series, for example, in cricket, those effects on sleep may be justified if um, the potential benefits are far greater in that moment on that day. Um, Caffeine timing is something that people get quite worked up about. To some extent, there is so many different things to consider to some extent your personal preference and how you respond to the caffeine how the caffeine's been taken and when you want that peak performance to occur so the optimal timing of caffeine ingestion may depend on the source of caffeine as mentioned earlier some alternative sources of caffeine such as caffeine chewing gum may absorb more quickly than caffeine ingested uh, in caffeine tablets Therefore, individuals interested in supplementing with caffeine should always consider that optimal timing will depend on the source of caffeine. Uh, The most common timing of caffeine supplementation is about 60 minutes before exercise. Uh, This timing is used given that it is believed that 60-minute post-ingestion plasma levels of caffeine will reach maximal levels. However, caffeine appears... Uh, To be most beneficial during times or in sports where there is an accumulation of fatigue, i.e. exercise over a longer, continuous or intermittent duration. Uh, Therefore, it may not always be optimal to load caffeine before an event depending on its length. Uh, A review reported that the effect size of caffeine benefits increase with the increasing duration of the time trial event, meaning that timing caffeine intake closer to the time of greater fatigue, a.k.a. later into the race, may be most beneficial. Uh, this is why you often see athletes waiting until later into long races to say things such as caffeine gels and caffeine tablets. Um, now I think if you've got a really short event, maybe an hour or two hours, then likely the intensity is to be so high that it's hard to consume any carbohydrates or gels or anything with caffeine in it. So at that point, the caffeine going to be in the system and remain highly elevated within the blood throughout the event whereas if you're doing something that's five six seven eight hours then taking it a bit later into the event is clearly going to be quite beneficial uh, this next bit is particularly interesting to me as i have been someone in the past who's always loaded caffeine before a race then take some during the race An early study aimed to understand whether or not there was a benefit to a common practice among endurance athletes such as those participating in marathons and triathlons, which is to drink flat cola towards the end of an event. Uh, When researchers investigated the ingestion of low doses of caffeine towards the end of a race, for example in the form of flat coke, It was found to have a comparable effect as ingesting higher doses, such as 5 to 6 milligrams per kilogram, ingested 60 minutes before the race. Uh, The study also demonstrated that the effect was due to the caffeine and not the carbohydrate, which may also aid performance as fuel stores become depleted. Uh, More recently, caffeine gum ingestion enhanced cycling performance when it was administered immediately prior to exercise, but not when administered one or two hours beforehand. Um, This may have been due to the faster absorption which caffeinated gun consumption and due to the continued increase in plasma caffeine concentrations during the cycling time trial. Uh, When athletes may become fatigued, i.e. 30 plus minutes into the time trial, as as the trials also include a 15 minute steady state cycling about prior to the time trial. Similarly, in a lab setting, a study of athletes completing 120 minutes of steady state cycling followed by a time trial under continuous, uh, under the conditions of placebo and caffeine found that in the ingestion of both low and moderate doses of caffeine later into exercise were beneficial. However, there was a significant uh, inter-individual variability highlighted the need for athletes to experiment with their own strategies as far as dosing and timing is concerned and this is why i think breakthrough and key big workouts can be really useful that almost simulate the race to a smaller amount say you say your race is going to be three hours doing an hour and a half two hours and almost doing your race day nutrition clearly can be very beneficial and from all this five to six milligrams per kilogram of caffeine is quite a Quite a hefty dose. Um, I mean, for myself, it's gonna you're talking six hundred milligrams of caffeine. At which point, that can really start to distress the gut and really hinder the ability, also, to ingest uh, carbohydrates throughout the event, even if it's a short event. So, the the potential of taking a far lower dose, like one to two milligrams per kilogram, near the end of the event although it's it's far more difficult to consume while fatigued and likely breathing heavily it seems to be that this could be a key alternative to risking um, gi distress with really large doses to get the same kind of benefit because in reality if you're taking a huge dose of caffeine say for a three hour marathon for the first hour and a half you don't really need that and in theory for the first two hours you probably don't really need that. And then if you take it for the final hour where you're really kind of hitting a wall and really starting to feel the effects of what you've done so far or a eight hour cycling event where you get maybe five hours in and you're really starting to feel the fatigue then dumping a bunch of caffeine into your body but it only having to be about 200 milligrams or 300 milligrams rather than six seven eight hundred milligrams this could be really key in improving performance where i have myself found a bit of a limiting factor around the 600 milligram dosage kind of period where gi distress really starts to become a limiting factor on performance where i simply just can't get carbohydrates in very easily anymore so this was a really interesting point for myself um, other supplements such as uh, beets tend to uh, improve the performance of individuals who are of a lower training status, aka being less fit. Now this is often a question for people consuming caffeine at various uh, levels, whether the impacts of caffeine are affected by your training status. So although some studies comparing training status of subjects support the notion that training influences response to caffeine during exercise. Most do not, and this is, was also the finding in subsequent meta-analysis that I've Looked through It's possible that the only difference between trained and untrained individuals is that trained individuals likely have the, the mental discipline uh, to exercise long and hard enough to benefit more from the caffeine stimulus itself, which might provide an explanation of why in some studies trained individuals Uh, Respond better to caffeine. Um, It seems that trained and untrained individuals experience similar improvements in performance following caffeine ingestion. However, more research really seems to be needed to pin this down. But it would make sense that if athletes who are of a greater training status are able to train within that fatigue state for longer, then the potential benefits which mainly seem to be on a fatigue state are going to be greater than someone who hits that kind of wall of fatigue and then 10 minutes later is done compared to someone who can continue for hours after that point of reaching peak fatigue. Now there are several ways you can take caffeine and different alternatives so let's get into that. Uh, several studies have shown that the form of caffeine or its vehicle for entry into the body can modify the pharmacokinetics of it. Uh, one small trial with a, st- uh, a group of three individuals evaluated Tmax, at the point in which it peaks in the blood, um, for a variety of beverages that all included 160 milligrams of caffeine, but in different volumes of solution, and reported that Tmax occurs in uh, sorry at Point, uh, half an hour half an hour and two hours for coffee tea and coca-cola uh, respectively in another study involving seven participants caffeine plasma concentrations peaked rapidly at 30 minutes for capsule form whereas caffeine absorption from cola and chocolate was delayed and produced a lower plasma concentrations that peaked roughly 9 to 220 minutes after consumption this study did also did not control for volume of an administered solution, capsules, and in chocolate ingested with 360 ml of water and 800 ml of uh, Coca-Cola. Now, I think it's kind of obvious to some extent that if you're having a very pure, refined form, that's just a tablet or a very small volume of liquid, then it is going to—it's not being hindered by any fiber or fats or sugars or anything else really that could be. Slowing down the digestive process in general. Um, chewing gum formulations appear to alter pharmacokinetics quite greatly. As much of caffeine released from the gum through uh, mastication can be absorbed via the buccal cavity, which is considered faster due to its extensive vascularization, especially for low molecular weight hydrophobic agents. Simply, it's just able to travel through uh, the walls of your mouth, effectively where there is a high amount of uh, there, are lots of veins and lots of blood flow around there to transport the caffeine away from there and to where it's going to stimulate you in the brain. Um, now, people have compared the rate of absorption and relative caffeine bioavailability from chewing gum compared to capsules. Um, Although caffeine administered in chewing gum formulation was absorbed at a significantly faster rate, their overall bioavailability was comparable to capsules 100 and 200 milligram caffeine doses groups. These pharmacokinetics findings are useful for military and sports purposes, where there is a requirement for rapid and maintained stimulation over specific periods of time. Chewing gum may also be advantageous due to the reduced digestive requirements where absorption of caffeine in other forms capsules and coffee for example may be hindered by a diminished digestive blood flow during moderate to intense exercise meaning that if you do kind of follow the idea of taking when you're most fatigued you may have to time it much more differently if you're taking in a um, something that's going through the stomach whereas caffeine chewing gum you are going to bypass that process and put it somewhere where There is still a lot of blood flow. Um, There is also a growing prevalence of caffeinated nasal and mouth aerosols administered directly into the mouth, under the tongue, and inspired many effects the brain more quickly through several uh, proposed mechanisms. Although there are only a few studies to date to support this claim, it is still something that is kind of floating around. Uh, the administration of caffeine via aerosol into the uh, oral cavity appears to produce a caffeine pharmacokinetic profile comparable to the administration of caffeinated uh, beverages. Now, we're going to go into the alternative sources a bit more. That's kind of like an overview. Um, and we're just going to talk about them in their uh, relevance to sport. So firstly, let's talk about uh, caffeine chewing gum this is one i mentioned plenty of times already Um, but for clarity uh, several investigations have suggested that delivering caffeine in chewing gum form may speed the rate of caffeine delivery to the blood via absorption through the uh, extremely vascular buccal cavity uh, caffeine via chewing gum may be absorbed via two passageways, the buccal uh, mucosa in the oral cavity and or uh, gut absorption due to swallowing of caffeine-containing saliva. There is a belief that uh, as not all of the caffeine is absorbed through the gut, that higher dosages can be uh, administered while avoiding gastric distress. Um, so I've used Caffeine chewing gum quite a lot And I personally uh, swear by it I find that It's something that you really take Minutes before you really need The, the kick I've found Even if I take it in a warm up Where normally maybe I might take a tablet I don't know 20 minutes before I even start warming up And then that itself going to take 10-15 minutes before I get really into the session uh, Caffeine chewing gum I'll be taking it five minutes before the interval starts because it, it will really start to kick in now it may vary on individual it may vary, vary on the brand but um, for myself it is something that i found to be really uh, useful even in dosages as low as just 100 milligrams where a caffeine tablet 100 milligrams takes a while to kick in and i find the benefits not to be as apparent and visceral to some extent next up is mouth rinsing Uh, this is a new one for myself uh, something i've never really experimented with but caffeine mouth rinsing which is 5 to 20 seconds in duration may have the potential to enhance exercise performance due to the activation on sensory motor brain uh, cortices specifically the mouth contains better taste sensory receptors that are sensitive to caffeine it's been proposed that activation of these bitter taste receptors may activate neural pathways associated with the information processing and reward within the brain. Uh, physiologically, caffeinated mouth rinsing may also reduce uh, gastrointestinal distress. Potentially, that may be caused when ingesting caffeine sources in larger amounts. Now, it's to be honest, I've heard of carbohydrate rinsing of the same kind of principle where in this instance... I think some of this caffeine is actually being absorbed, but at least for carbohydrate rinsing where you rinse it and the body assumes carbohydrates on the way and you seem to get a physical benefit as the body thinks it's able to continue using its own stores because they're going to be replenished. Now caffeine, it may just be a almost internal placebo as such, like the body starts regulating certain... Um, benefits of caffeine because it's now assuming it's on the way. Um, so, this method is a bit like, well, as I've mentioned, carbohydrate rinsing. Um, and so, the studies are, have demonstrated that the ergogenic benefits of caffeine um, mouth rinsing on aerobic performance, reporting significant increases in distance covered during a 30 minute um, arm crank time trial performance. Likewise, in a separate study, a 5-second uh, CMR containing 32 milligrams of caffeine uh, dissolved in 125 ml water improved 30-minute cycling performance without concurrent increases in rating of perceived exertion or heart rate. Uh, with regard to anaerobic trials, other researchers have also observed improvement performance where recreational ac- um, active males significantly improve their mean power output during repeated 6-second sprints after rinsing with a 1.2% uh, caffeinated solution. This could become incredibly useful. I mean 5 to 20 seconds is quite a long time. So I don't think this is going to be something where say midway through a race you. I think it. if it was shorter it would be more beneficial to running where it is hard to ingest these things. If you could just do like a 2 second swot like swish in the mouth and spit it out. Where cycling, to be honest, you have enough time and enough control really to simply ingest caffeine itself in some form. Um, Maybe you know you've already got a bit of GI distress, but you still want the caffeine hit. So alternatively, you uh, rinse your mouth. So I think that's where this can become um, a key sort of uh, performance enhancing method. Nasal sprays are another method that are quite new to me, personally. The use of caffeinated nasal sprays um, and inspired uh, powders are also uh, of interest to researchers. Three mechanisms of action have been hypothesized for caffeinated nasal sprays. Uh, Firstly, the first is... uh, Nasal um, mucosa is permeable, making the nasal cavity a potential route for local and system, uh, systemic substance delivery, particularly for caffeine and a small molecule compound. Secondly, a similar, as similar to um, caffeine mouth rinsing, bitter taste receptors are located in the nasal cavity. Um, so it's the same method of action there the use of nasal spray may allow for upregulation of brain activity associated with reward and information processing uh, thirdly but often questioned due to its unknown time of course of action caffeine could potentially be transported directly from the nasal cavity to the central nervous system specifically uh, the cerebral spinal fluid and brain by intercellular axon- axonal Uh, Transport through two specific neural pathways, the olfactory and the trigamine. Sorry, a study on the effect of a 15 milligram per milliliter nasal spray found no significant improvements in, in anaerobic or aerobic performance. You may think this dose is really small and non-representative but after looking into some products online it's not uncommon for them to be delivering one milligram of caffeine per spray, claiming all the possible benefits already mentioned and buzzwords like highly effective and concentration and what stuff like that have been listed. So nasal spray, seemed, caffeine mouth rinsing seems to be fairly well proven to some extent. Whereas these nasal sprays seem to be a little bit on the fence, so I'd say this is one that, unless you find something somewhere else that clearly states this is going to work for you, or personally maybe the the, the placebo itself is enough. Um, it doesn't seem to be as well backed up as the other methods previously uh, previously mentioned. And on to everyone's favourite caffeinated gels. Uh, While caffeinated gels are frequently consumed by runners, cyclists, triathletes, plasma caffeine concentration studies have yet to be conducted, and only three experimental trials have been reported that I could find. Um, uh, Cooper et al. and Scott et al. examined the effects of carbohydrate caffeinated gels, which both included 100 milligrams of caffeine dosage uh, alongside 25 milligrams and 20.1.6 carbohydrates respectively. Um, In the study uh, by Cooper et al., the consumption of caffeinated gels 60 minutes pre-exercise did not enhance intermittent sprint performance. In contrast, Skartel utilized a shorter time period from consumption um, to the start of the exercise, i.e. 10 minutes pre-exercise, and found significant improvements in 2000 meter rowing performance after consumption of the caffeinated gels. This kind of makes me think that very because sim- these this, this these results are very similar to that of caffeine chewing gum where people consume it an hour before and don't seem to see much benefit if any at all but then consume it 10 minutes before and clearly see uh, great benefits and it's likely because the gels are just such an easy method of digestion in comparison um to drinks I suppose in some respects. I'm not sure exactly how but it seems to be that the they seem to enter the blood uh, much quicker than other uh, forms of caffeine ingestion so um, yes another recent study utilized caffeine gels and found that 300 milligrams of caffeine provided 10 minute pre-exercise increased vertical jump performance, strength and power in a sample of 17 uh, resistance trained men. These um, results triangulate, sorry, suggest that timing of consumption is important when it comes to caffeinated gels with the ergogenic effects clearly being 10 minutes but not 60 minutes before exercise. So simply if you're going to use something like this it looks like gels and uh, chewing gum to be consumed very close to the exercise or during at the point where you reach uh, a higher amount of fatigue. Um, we'll also touch on caffeine bars. I think caffeine bars it looks like a similar case to caffeine gels where there's not tons of research on it. But given that they're a more complex um, food and that will need more digestion because they're not just a liquid with sugar and caffeine in it. They are likely to be closer to the 60 minute pre-exercise mark where the caffeine is going to be delayed due to the breaking down of other substances to get the caffeine out of there. So there you have it. So that is now everything covered across the two um, episodes that I have now on caffeine and its performance enhancing effects. So, supplementation with caffeine has been shown to acutely enhance many aspects of exercise and performance, including uh, prolonged aerobic type activities and brief duration activities that are high intensity uh, in nature. Uh, caffeine is clearly ergogenic when it is consumed in doses of three to six milligrams per kilogram of body mass. So, that's kind of the numbers to aim for. Starting off obviously on the lower end and experimenting and then raising them to see what kind of performance you can get out of yourself. Uh, The most commonly used timing of caffeine supplementation seems to be 60 minutes pre-exercise. However, the optimal timing of caffeine ingestion likely depends on the source of caffeine. 10 minutes beforehand for gels and chewing gum, but 30-60 minutes really for every other source by the looks of things. Um... Caffeine's effects seem to be similar in both trained and untrained individuals with likely a lot of the improved benefits seen in trained individuals simply being their ability to train for longer and race for longer under fatigued states and therefore seeing the key benefits of caffeine for longer and therefore a greater overall improvement. Uh, Inter-individual differences may be associated with habitual caffeine intake, genetic variations and supplementation protocols in a given uh, study. So again looking at a study and then saying this is the exact timing and dosage that I need to follow isn't necessarily going to be the case. You may be a poor responder or a high responder where maybe you only need to consume two milligrams per kilogram and anything over that you start to feel unwell. So simply starting low and building up into it is the best way to go about it and especially when you're starting to increase past like the 100-200 milligram mark staying away from any form of powder and sticking to tablets, chewing gums and and measured controlled dosages where you know one tablet or uh, one gel is a given um, dose of caffeine so caffeine may also be ergogenic for cognitive function including attention and vigilance Caffeine may improve cognition and physical performance in some individuals under conditions of sleep deprivation. So great for athletes who are travelling a lot for their sport or travelling to a new time zone where they may be jet lagged. Um, And for individuals maybe just going through a heavy bout of training that is resulting in uh, elevated levels of fatigue. Um, alternative sources of caffeine such as caffeinated chewing gum, mouth rinses and energy gels have also been shown to improve performance energy drinks and pre-workouts containing caffeine have been demonstrated to enhance both anaerobic and aerobic performance as well however obviously in a lot of cases things like cans of Red Bull they come with a lot of other things and so trying to consume 3 milligrams per kilogram of Red Bull is going to be a lot of sugar and other things that aren't caffeine itself, including just fluids, so make this more likely to cause GI distress. Uh, Individuals should also be aware of the side effects associated with caffeine ingestion, such as sleep disturbances and anxiety, which are often uh, linearly uh, dose-dependent. Now these kind of side effects I have briefly touched on, and I've touched on more in the positives and negatives of caffeine, which will be coming out uh, next on this podcast, so stay tuned for that. Now, I want to thank you for making it this far into the episode, especially if you have listened to part one already. That's a good stint. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more content like this, there are plenty of previous episodes to check out. But before you do, why not follow the podcast and leave a rating wherever you get your podcast from? Um, or even better share with a friend. For any comments, feedback, or if you would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, I can be contacted at the VO2Lounge at gmail.com and with that I will see you in the next one.